Amen. All right, well, we're there in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter number 6. And on Wednesday nights, we're studying through the book of 1 Corinthians, just going verse by verse, chapter by chapter. And uh, last week, if you remember, we went through the first 11 verses in chapter 6, and we dealt with the subject of lawsuits uh, among believers, and we talked about uh, how those things should be handled. This year, we're, this uh, week, we're going to pick up just right where we left off there in verse number 12. And in the chapter, the subject shifts a little bit, and it uh, shifts to this idea of fornication. Look, look down at verse number 12. The Bible says this, All things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. The word expedient there means profitable or good for you. He says, All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Look at verse 13. He says, Meats for the belly and the belly for meats, but God shall destroy both it and them. Now the body is not for fornication, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. Now I'd like you to notice, and I just want to give you three thoughts tonight, three points out of this passage for those of you who are taking notes. Uh, point number one is this. We see in this passage the sin of fornication. We see the sin of fornication. Now, I want you to notice again in verse 12, and notice what he says. He says, all things are lawful unto me. He says, all things are lawful unto me. Now, what does he mean by that? And here's what he's saying. He's saying, Paul is saying, I can do whatever I want. And, you know, this is really an idea going to eternal security. What he's basically saying is, I can do whatever I want and still be saved. He says, you know, all things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. And by the way, that's a great proof right there for eternal security. Because today you have people that will teach that, you know, you have to live a certain way, you have to repent of your sins, and if you don't repent of your sins, you're not saved, you won't really save. If, if Jesus is not the Lord of your life, you're not really saved. But here we have the Apostle Paul saying, he's saying, look, all things are lawful unto me. And he says, I, I, I can do whatever I want. There's nothing that, that I couldn't do, and, and I wouldn't still be saved or stu- still have the, the position that I have. He says, all things are lawful unto me. But he says, but all things are not expedient. And here's what he's saying. He's saying, just because you can do whatever you want doesn't mean you should do whatever you want. He says, all things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. And the idea there, again, is that sin seeks to enslave us. Sin wants to put us in bondage. And Paul says, look, I can do what I want, but I'm not going to allow myself to be put under the bondage of sin. And you say, well, why does he say that? Because here's what you need to understand, and I don't really have time to develop this tonight, but when we got saved, we got victory over sin. In fact, the the victory has already been uh, 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 determined. We've already won. We've already been victors. And what we do as believers, if you remember uh, several months ago, I think it was, we were going through a series called, you know, The Victorious Christian Life. And what we do is we, on you know, by our own will, allow ourselves to be put under the bondage of sin when we've already gained that victory through Christ. And what Paul is saying, he says, he says, look, all things are lawful for me. He says, I can do whatever I want and I still be saved and still be on my way to heaven. He says, but I will not be brought under the power of any. And, what he, and then he gives us, in verse 13, he gives us an illustration. Notice what he says. He says, meats for the belly and the belly for meat. So what is he saying? Because you got to understand, and with the apostles' writings a major you know, thing that he's teaching and that the New Testament church is learning about is this idea that they are no longer under the uh, Old Testament 
dietary laws. They no longer have to keep those laws. And they're teaching people, hey, it's okay to eat pork. It's fine to have shrimp. You know, it's fine to eat those things. And, and, and he's using that as an illustration. And what he's saying is, look, you can eat whatever you want as a New Testament believer. He said, meat for the belly and belly for meat, but God shall destroy both it and them. And then he says this, now the body is not for fornication, but for the Lord. And here's what he's saying. He's saying, just because you can eat whatever you want, doesn't mean you can do whatever you want. Just because you can eat whatever you want, doesn't mean that you can fulfill whatever desire your body has. And here's what I need to understand. And, and the reason that point number one is the sin of fornication is because Today, you have many Christians and many even pastors who don't teach or don't believe that uh, fornication is a sin, but you need to understand, in the Bible, it is clearly taught that fornication is a sin that God does not desire for His people to be a part of. And look, today, look, you go to the average, just whatever church today, and you know what you're going to find? You're going to find a whole lot of people living in fornication, and, you know, what is it to be in fornication? What's the sin of fornication? Basically, the sin of fornication is, is having a physical relationship before marriage. Just when two individuals uh, have a physical relationship uh, and they're not married to each other, you know, it can be shacking up. It can be living together before you're married. It can be just having that relationship before you're married. And today, you don't hear a lot about this. I mean, you don't hear a lot of preaching on fornication and on the fact that it's a sin and on the fact that it shouldn't happen. But the Bible very clearly is teaching here. Notice again verse 13, the last part of verse 13. Now the body is not for fornication, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. Notice uh, again verse, four, verse 14. He says, And God hath both, both raised up the Lord and will also raise us up by his own power. Know ye not? Now here's what's interesting. And here's what he's explaining. He's saying, the, your body is a temple of the Holy Ghost. We're going to see that in a second. And he says, your body is for the Lord. He says, know ye not that your bodies are the members of Christ. Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of an harlot? And he says, God forbid. Now look, because today you have people say, oh, well, we're not under the law, so we don't have to follow the law, so we can fornicate and we can drink and we can do whatever we want because salvation is by grace. And today you have preachers that will preach, you know, lasciviousness, that because we're under grace, we're not under the law, we don't have to the law, we don't have to abide by the law. But is that what Paul taught? Is that what Paul said? He said, all things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. He said, hey, you know, he said, God forbid, shall I make them the members of an harlot? And it's an interesting thought that Paul kind of brings up here when he brings up this idea of the fact that if you're saved and you've got the Holy Spirit of God living inside of you and you are sealed with the Spirit and your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, we basically take the Holy Spirit with us everywhere we go. And when we sin, that's what he's saying, look at verse 15, he says, Know ye not that your bodies are the members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of an harlot? God forbid. Look at verse 19. We're going to come back and cover the other verses, but just, just for, uh, so you can get this idea. Verse 19, he says, What? Know ye not that your body is a temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own. And that's kind of the idea we've been talking about with stewardship. You don't belong to yourself. When you're saved, your body belongs to God. Verse 20, For ye are bought with a price, therefore glorify God. Notice what he says, In your body and in your spirit. Notice, which are God's. And he says, because of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, 
we are actually forcing the Holy Spirit to put up with our sin when we choose to sin. And, and, and this is why he gives this idea of grieving the Holy Spirit or of quenching the Holy Spirit. Let's look at those verses together. Keep your place in 1 Corinthians 6. That's our text for tonight. But go to Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 30. Ephesians 4.30. You're there in 1 Corinthians. You're going to go past 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians. Ephesians 4.30. Notice what the Bible says. Ephesians 4.30, Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 30 says this, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. And again, this goes back to this idea that if the Christianity that teaches, you know, you have to repent of your sins to be saved, you have to make Jesus the Lord of your lives to be saved. You have to be walking righteously and walking holy to be saved. If that type of Christianity is true, then verses like Ephesians 4.30 don't make any sense. Because if in order to be saved, you've got to always be walking in the Spirit, then why would the Holy Spirit ever be grieved? You say, well, why is he grieved? Because sometimes you can have the Holy Spirit, you can be sealed with the Holy Spirit, and yet not be pleasing the Holy Spirit. And look, it's quite a thought to consider that when you sit down and watch trash on your television, if you're saved, you're forcing the Holy Spirit who's inside of you to, to be part of that with you. And what you're doing is you're grieving the Holy Spirit. When you put alcohol in your body, when you put drugs in your body, when you choose to do things that are not honoring to God, if you're saved, the Holy Spirit comes along for the ride, unfortunately, because the Bible says that you'll never leave thee nor forsake you. And when you're doing that, you are grieving the Holy Spirit of God. And Paul says, if for whatever reason, if for whatever reason you're not going to fornicate, would you at least uh, do it for the sake of the Holy Spirit? He says, and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Keep your place there in Ephesians. We're going to come uh, back to it. So make sure you put a ribbon or a bookmark there. But go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. You're there in Ephesians. You're going to go past Philippians, Colossians, 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Always remember this. If you're saved, the Holy Spirit goes with you everywhere you go. You're, if you're sealed with the Spirit, He's with you. He'll never leave thee. He'll never forsake thee. You're, you're never alone. You're always with God. And that can be a good thing, and that can be a bad thing. 1 Thessalonians 5.19, when we're in sin, we're grieving the Holy Spirit of God. 1 Thessalonians 5.19, notice what he says. He says, quench not the Spirit. Quench not the Spirit. Now, why would he say that? He would say that because there are Christians that are quenching the Spirit. There are Christians that are grieving the Spirit. There are Christians that are taking their bodies, which are the Holy Spirit, which is the temple of the Holy Spirit, and they are grieving the Holy Spirit of God. Keep your finger right there in 1 Thessalonians. We're going to come right back to it, but go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. So we see here this idea that sin is... That fornication is a sin. And look, today, people act like fornication is just not a big deal. And it's funny because even in our churches, like, you know, I get up and I preach against fornication. I say, look, you know, uh, the Bible says this, the Bible says that. We talk about church discipline. And it's crazy because people just, you know, they, they've been coming to this church for like a year, for two years, for whatever. And then they just decide to move in, you know, with some, somebody they're not married to. And it's like... We've been preaching about this 
You know what the Bible says. And they just act like it's no big deal. You know, and they're telling people like, oh, yeah, I'm living with so-and-so. No big deal. And I'm like, look, now we're going to have to throw you out of church. You know, and, it's, it, it, and you think, so, are you crazy? Are you insane? I mean, we've been saying it. And here's the problem is, you know, with most pastors and most preachers, whatever they say from the pulpit doesn't really matter because they're not really going to do anything. You know, and at Very Baptist Church, when we say, hey, these certain sins will get you kicked out of church, we actually mean that. And we'll actually throw you out of church. But, you know, people just come into church like, no big deal. Like, oh, we just moved in. And it's this idea today that fornication is not a sin. It's not a problem. Everybody's doing it. Nobody, you know, thinks there's anything wrong with it. But you know what? The Bible says it's a sin. The Bible says it's wrong. And we're not changing on that. We're not changing with the culture. We're not going alongside with the culture. You say, people say, well, at other churches, they don't say, I don't care what other churches say. This is what the Word of God says. And fornication is a sin. And here's what you need to understand. Look at verse 16. Fornication is a different type of sin. You know, here's another stupid thing that's brought out by Christians today. This idea that all sin is equal. All sin is the same. All sin is equal. You know, lying to someone and, you know, shooting up a, a mall is just the, same, the exact same thing. You know, stealing a pen from the bank and robbing the bank and killing the teller is the exact same thing. I mean, you got to be borderline psychotic to e- even think that, you know, that, that makes any logical sense. But I want you to notice that in this passage, God is telling us and the Apostle Paul is telling us that fornication and what he's really talking about is, is the sin of sexual sin. It's a very different type of sin. Look at verse 16. He says, What? Know ye not that he which is joined to an harlot is one body? For two, saith he, shall be one flesh. Now let me just go ahead and say this, because there's idiots out there that want to teach stupid things. The Bible is not teaching here that when you fornicate, you're now married. Okay? And you say, well, how do you know that? Well, there's lots of ways we know that. Number one, we see in the Bible that people fornicated and they weren't married. We can even see in the Bible where people fornicated and the father could say, no, you're not going to marry that person. But just, just to give you one logical thought, if fornicating makes you all of a sudden married, then there would be no sin of fornication. Do you understand that? There'd be no such thing as fornication. It'd be stupid to even talk about fornication if every time you went to bed with someone, you're all of a sudden married to them. Well, then there's no sin, okay? So obviously, that's not what the Bible is teaching, and you have to be an idiot to believe that. Look at verse 17. But he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. Verse 18. Flee fornication. Now notice what he says. He says, every sin that a man doeth is without the body. You steal something. You lie to someone. You, uh, you know, you, you're doing things you should. He says, every sin that a man doeth without the body. But then he says this, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. So what is he saying? Here's what he's saying. Fornication is a different type of sin. Fornication is a type of sin you can't say. The, the, the physical relationship, and look, fornication, adultery, whatever it might be, it's a different type of sin. And I don't want to get into too much detail or get too crude, but look, this is something that sticks with you for the rest of your life. And once you give it away, you can never take it back. And here's the thing, you, you know, every single person here, every adult here, you know, some of you wish you could forget certain things you did. And, and, and these things stick with you. And if I were to, you know, some of you have a lot of heartache in your past about fornication and about things that you regret. But here's what's interesting, you know, people act like, oh, well, it's the same as sin. Okay, then answer for me this question. Could you tell me the first time you lied? Yeah. 
Now look, wasn't there a first time we all lied? But you probably don't remember it. You know why? Because lying is just a different type of sin. It doesn't stick with you like this type of sin does. Do you understand what I'm saying? This is a big deal. This messes with your head. And that's why, you know, I really want the, the, the young people, especially the teenagers listening to me tonight, this is not something you just want to flippantly go into and flippantly give away because every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that committed fornication sinneth against his own body. And these types of physical relationship sins will stick with you and will mess with you and, and, and will, will cause you problems. For the, rest of, I mean, for the rest of your life. And, and obviously, we can get forgiveness in God, and God can help you, and God can restore you, and all of that. We understand that. But listen to me. People aren't getting, you know, they're not getting uh, uh, help. They're not getting, you know, they're not asking to, to counsel with someone. People aren't asking to counsel with the pastor, you know, men counseling with the pastor, or ladies counseling with the pastor's wife, or wanting to talk to somebody. They're not bringing up, you know, when I was in seventh grade, I I told a lie. When I was in seventh grade, I, I stole a Snickers bar from the 7-Eleven. But you know, they do come to us about things that happen in, in regards to physical relationships when they were in seventh grade, and in ninth grade, and in twelfth grade. You say, why? Because every sin that a man doeth is without the body. But he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. And there's just something about these types of sins that are different. They're not the same. So don't go and, and, and look, and if you're here tonight and you, you say, I've already messed up, but I've already gone down that road. You know, the Bible says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And you can confess it to God and God will forgive you. And you can move forward knowing that God has restored you and God can help you. But look, if you haven't done that yet, if you haven't messed that up, I want to encourage every teenager here tonight to just decide that I'm going to protect my purity and my virginity and that I'm going to wait till the day of my marriage and then I'm going to do it right. Why? Because this is a different type of sin. And not all sin is equal. And every sin that a man doeth is without the body. But he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. And here's what I know. Here's what I know. Because people get this idea and they think, well, you know, uh, everybody else is having fun and everybody else is doing this. But here's what I know. No one who waited until the day of their marriage, no one who waited until the day of their marriage, to have and, and kept themselves pure for their spouse. No one that went to the altar of virgin, nobody regrets that. Do you understand that? Nobody, you know, after they've been married for 30 years, says, man, you know, one thing, one thing I regret is having some integrity and, and keeping myself clean. I just, you know, you know, no, no lady says, you know, one thing I regret, I wish in my teen years I would have been more of a whore. Nobody says that. But a lot of young ladies say, you know, I wish in my teen years, I wish in my teen years somebody, I would have had a pastor or a pastor's wife. I would have had a, a mom or a dad who would have taught me to, to keep myself pure and to keep, do you understand that? He says, every sin that a man doeth is without the body. But he that committed fornication sinneth against his own body. Did you keep your place there in 1 Thessalonians? Go, go back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. See, there is a sin of fornication. It's not something that God desires for, for Christians. It's not something that God desires for young people. And when you cross that line, please don't misunderstand me, there is forgiveness and there is restoration and God can, can, can help you overcome that. But it's just better if you don't cross that line. 
It's better if you just understand that it is, you know, the Bible talks about making sin exceeding sinful, and this is something that needs to be made exceeding sinful. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, look at verse 3. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3. The Bible says this, for this is the will of God. Now, isn't that quite a statement? I mean, I don't know about you, but, it, it, you know, I, you're, you're here tonight on a Wednesday night. I would imagine that you're interested in the will of God. And he says, for this is the will of God, even your sanctification. And here's the thing. God doesn't use this terminology a lot. I wish that God would just have a, a, a chapter in the Bible that said, this is the will of God. And then he just told us everything he wanted us to do. But he doesn't really say that. And I'm not saying this is the only will of God. But it is interesting that he says, for this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that ye should abstain from fornication. Fornication is such a sin that God wants to tell us, you want to know my will for your life, young person? You want to know my will for your life, unmarried person? You want to know my will for your life? It's your sanctification. You say, well, what does that mean, God? Well, he says, well, here's one way to abstain from fornication. That every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. So I, I realize that today people act like fornication is not a big deal. People act like fornication, oh, no big deal. I, I, I moved in with so-and-so. Oh, don't, don't come in here telling us you moved in with so-and-so. It's a big deal. It, God makes a big deal about it. It's not just a little sin or like nothing else. He said, hey, it's, this is a different type of sin. And you want to be careful about that. So we see number one tonight, the sin of fornication. Like you notice, secondly tonight, go back to 1 Corinthians. Go to chapter 10, though. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. We saw the sin of fornication, but I'd like you to notice, secondly, the severity of fornication. The severity of fornication. See, it's not just a sin, it's a severe sin. It's not just a sin, it's an exceeding sinful sin. And God highlights that for us in the Word of God. And there's two ways that it's highlighted in Scripture. The first one is this, we see the judgment of God on fornication, and when we see the judgment of God on fornication, it shows the severity of the sin. The judgment of God on fornication shows how severe God thinks and feels about this sin. 1 Corinthians chapter number 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, look at verse 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 7. Notice what the Bible says. 1 Corinthians 10, 7 says, Neither be ye idolaters, as were some of them, as it is written. The people sat down to eat and to drink, and once you notice this, these four words, rose up to play, rose up to play. So he said it's written in the Word of God that the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Now this is actually a quote from a story in the book of Exodus. Let's look at it together. Keep your place there in 1 Corinthians 10. We're going to flip back and forth, but go to Exodus chapter number 32 and look at verse number 1. Exodus 32, you got Genesis and Exodus, should be fairly easy to find, second book in the Bible. Exodus chapter 10, I'm sorry, Exodus 32, verse 1. You're in 1 Corinthians 10. Exodus chapter 32 and verse 1. You're familiar with the story, but let's read a little bit of it just to get the context. Exodus 32, 1. And when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down out of the mount, remember Moses has been up on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. The people gathered themselves together unto Aaron and said unto him, Up, make us gods, which shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we want not what is become of him. And Aaron said unto them, Break off the golden earrings which are in the ears of your wives, of your sons, 
and of your daughters and bring them unto me. And let me just go ahead and say this. Whenever you see in the Bible a reference to a male having an earring, it's always negative. They're always coming out of Egypt. They're always being influenced by the Philistines. Here, you've got these, you know, uh, queer-looking boys with their little earrings on their, on their ear, and they're about to make a golden calf and, you know, worship it. It's not, you know, I don't believe God desires for men to have earrings in their ears. You know, just look like a man, on, all right? Let, let the, you know, men need to get into a toolbox and let the ladies have a jewelry box, okay? Today, we're trying to get the women to get into the toolbox, and we're putting the men into a jewelry box. We got it all mixed up. Look what he says in verse 2. And Aaron said unto them, Break off the golden earrings which are in the ears of your wives, of your sons, of your daughters, and bring them unto me. And all the people break off the golden earrings which were in the ears of, uh, and brought them unto Aaron, verse 4. And he received them at their hand. I want you to notice this. Because the Bible says, And fashioned it with a graving tool. All right? What that means is that he melted the gold, then he took tools, and he fashioned it to form it, and he, it was a graving tool, meaning he engraved it. And, and I just want you to notice that because later on in the story, I'm not even sure we're going to read it, but later on in the story, when Moses comes down, you know, Aaron says, I, I just threw it in the fire and this golden calf came out. Okay, well, that's not what happened. You fashioned it with a graving tool after he had made it a molten calf. And they said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow is a feast of the Lord. And they rose up early on the morrow and offered burnt offerings and um, brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and to drink. And, this is familiar, rose up to play. That's what we read about in 1 Corinthians 10. Now, what does that mean? That they rose up to play. What's going on here? Well, keep your finger there. Go back to 1 Corinthians 10. Look at verse 8. We're going to come right back to Exodus 32. But 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 8. They rose up to play is a euphemism here being used for the sin that they were committing. 1 Corinthians 10. Look at verse 8. Notice what the Bible says. Neither let us commit fornication. We just saw in verse 7 that it says they rose up to play. Verse 8, it says, Neither let us commit fornication... You say, does God think the sin of fornication is a big deal? Well, notice what he says. As some of them committed. Some of them committed what? They committed fornication. And fell, talking about God killed and died, in one day, three and 20,000. God killed 23,000 people, the Bible tells us, because they were committing fornication. Now, does that sound to you like God thinks it's a big deal? Look, there's not a lot of sins that God just, you know, kills people for. There are definitely sins that God kills people for, but especially 23,000 of them. And here's what I'm saying. When we see the judgment of God upon the sin of fornication, it's a big deal to God. It's not just a small thing like, ah, well, you know, it's, it happens. No, no, no. God was upset about it. Go back to Exodus 32. Look at verse 25. Exodus 32 and verse 25. The Bible says this, And when Moses saw that the people were naked... Now, why were they naked? For Aaron had made them naked unto their shame among their enemies. Then Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, Who is on the Lord's side? Let him come unto me. And all the sons of Levi gathered themselves together unto him. And he said unto them, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Put every man his sword by his side and go in and out from the gate to gate throughout the camp and slay every man his brother and every man his companion and every man his neighbor. 
And the children of Levi did according to the word of the Lord, and there fell of the people that day about 3,000 men. Now, now, hold on a second. That's just the 3,000 men that the Levites killed. Skip down to verse 35. Same chapter. And the Lord plagued the people because they made the calf which Aaron made. So I want you to notice that here you have Moses coming down. And look, is Moses overreacting here? I mean, to Moses, a big deal. And to God, this is a big deal. He sends a plague down. And the Bible says that many of them died. Go, go back to 1 Corinthians. But go to chapter 5. 1 Corinthians 5. And we've already preached through 1 Corinthians 5, so I don't want to spend too much time on here. But let me just say this. We see the severity, right? Because we saw the sin of fornication. Then we see the severity of fornication. It's very serious. It's something that God is very, you know, upset about. We see it through the judgment of God in the Old Testament, but we also see it through the judgment of the local church in the New Testament. Because look at 1 Corinthians 5 in verse 1. It is reported commonly that there is fornication among you. And such fornication as is not so much as named among the Gentiles that one should have his father's wife. And ye are puffed up and have not rather mourned that he that hath done this deed might be taken away from among you. It's interesting because there's not a lot of sins that God says, if you are doing these sins, we have to throw you out of church. But you know what? Fornication is one of them because it's a big deal to God. Now, look, there's lots of things that people do that, you know, we don't approve of or I preach against or whatever, but that doesn't mean we're going to throw you out of church just because you whatever. But there are certain sins that we have been commanded as a New Testament church that we cannot allow within the church. And one of those is fornication. Look down at verse number 9. 1 Corinthians 5 and verse 9, the Bible says this, I wrote unto you in an epistle, notice what he says, not to company with fornicators, not to hang out with fornicators, not to be around fornicators, yet not altogether with the fornicators of this world or with, here's other sins that will get you thrown out of church, covetous or extortioners or with idolaters or, or for then must you need to go out of the world. But now I have written unto you not to keep company if a man that is called a brother, meaning they hold a testimony of salvation, be a fornicator or covetous or idolater or a railer or a drunkard or an extortioner with such uh, and one know not to eat. So notice, we see the severity of this sin from God. Because in the Old Testament, God just kills people. But we also see the severity of it in the New Testament because in the New Testament, it's not allowed to be had. It's not allowed, uh, you're not allowed to, to, to engage in that sin and be allowed to be part of the church. Look at verse 12. For what have I to do to judge them that also are without? Do not ye judge them that are within. Verse 13. But them that are without, God judges. Therefore, notice, Put away from among yourselves that wicked person. Did you keep your place in Ephesians? Go, go back to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. And listen, listen to me, please listen to me very carefully. I'm not, I am not just getting up here and just making statements, you know, because I got nothing else to say. Okay, I'm not just up here just because people hear me preach this. They hear me preach it. Over and over and over and over again. And then they show up to church and it's like, oh, we're living together. And it's like, yeah, uh, you got to not come back. And like, I can't believe you'd kick us out. What do you mean you can't believe we'd kick you out? We said that's what we do. Amen. That's what the Bible said. And, and, and people think like, oh, you know, well, he's not serious. Look, if you don't think I'm serious, try me. 
Because if there's one thing we're going to do around here is we're going to follow what the Bible says and we will throw you out for living in fornication. And, people, and this is what people say. They'll say, oh, well, we're not fornicating, but we're just living together. Right. <laughs> let, me, let me explain something to you, to you. Nobody believes that. And you, you, should, you, know, you should feel like an idiot just saying, oh, well, we're not living. We're, we're, me and my boyfriend are living. We're, we're, we're not fornicating. We're just living together. Nobody believes that. And I don't believe that. And, and look, whatever you, you say whatever you want. We'll throw you out for shacking up. For living together and not being married, we will throw you out of church. Say, why? Because that's what the Bible says. And people say, oh, you're not loving. That is loving. Look, right, what I'm doing right now is the most loving thing I could do as a pastor. You say, what are you doing? I'm trying to just scare, you know, the children and the teenagers. I'm trying to scare them to death of ever going down the road of fornicating or living in this life. Why? Because, look, sin will destroy your life. And every sin that a man doeth is without the body. But this sin is different. And it's so bad that God says, throw them out of church. It's so bad in the Old Testament, he's like, Here's how we'll throw them out of church. We just killed 23,000 of them. Ephesians 5, are you there? Look at verse 3. Notice what he says. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, notice what he says, let it not be once named among you as becometh saints. Look, we're not perfect around here. We're all sinners. We're trying to grow. We're trying to get better. There are things that we do that we shouldn't do. Paul talked about the fact that the things that he'd like to do that he doesn't do and things that he doesn't do that he should do. And we understand that and we, and we, and we get that. But if there's one sin, if there's two sins, if there's a few sins that should not be named among believers, it's the sin of fornication. It's the sin of covetousness. It's the sin of uncleanness. There's certain things that cannot be allowed. And again, we preached about that in, in chapter 5 and a little 11-11 at the whole lump. And we understand that. All I'm trying to say to you tonight is we see the severity of fornication. It's a big deal. We see it from the judgment of God in the Old Testament. And we see it from the judgment of the local church in the New Testament. And I don't care if every church in this country refuses to obey the Word of God. We're going to obey the Word of God. And we're going to follow it. Go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. So we saw number one, the sin of fornication. And we saw number two, the severity of fornication. But I'd like you to notice thirdly tonight as we finish up, the solution for fornication. Paul gives us a solution for fornication. And he gives us two, really. Here's solution number one. Look at verse 18. Flee fornication. Flee fornication. Now, what does the word flee mean? It means to run. It means to run in the opposite direction. It means to run away. Flee fornication. Why? Because every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that committed fornication sinneth against his own body. Now, we have a good example of this in the Old Testament, so let's look at it together. Go to Genesis 39 and look at verse number 7. Genesis 39 in the New Testament, Genesis. Remember the story of Joseph? I love the story of Joseph. Joseph's a great character in the Bible. In Genesis 39, we see the story of Joseph, and he actually applies this uh, principle of fleeing fornication or fleeing, you know, physical relationships, sins that have to do with the physical relationship. Genesis 39, look verse 7. And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast her eyes upon Joseph, and she said, Lie with me. But he refused and said unto his master's wife, Behold, my master wadeth not what is with me in the house, 
and he hath committed all that he had to my hand. And by the way, this is just a side note, but Joseph is a steward of the house. That's, that's what he's saying. He's saying, my master wanteth not what is with me in the house. He hath committed all that he hath to my hand. There is no greater in this house than I, neither have you kept back anything from me but thee. Talking to his wife. Because thou art his wife. And how can I do this great wickedness? But I want you to notice the heart of Joseph. Because he's saying, well, my master has promoted me and my master has made me the steward and the master said that I can have whatever I want in this house and he's kept nothing back from me except for you because you're his wife. And he said, how can I do this great wickedness? And it sounds like he's saying, I can't do this because of my master. And that's a good enough reason right there. But then he says this, and sin against God. And here's what you need to understand. At the end of the day, all sin is against God. And when you go down that road, and, and, and Joseph understood, he said, I, not only can I do this to my master, not only can I, he said, I can't do this because of God. He said, how can I sin against God? Verse 10, and it came to pass as she spake to Joseph day by day that he hearkened not unto her to lie by her. I want you to notice last part of verse 10. This was a good move on the, on the part of Joseph. Or to be with her. Joseph decided to not even be around this lady. That was a good move. And let me say, especially to you, those of you that are, you know, of dating age, you know, you, you should not, you should be dating in, pri- in public places, not private places. You should be dating in public places. There, there's nothing wrong with dating. I believe dating is a good thing, you know, but, you know, as long as you're getting married, you're, getting, you're at the age where you're, you're able to get married and all those things, but don't be dating, you know, where you're just in a room by yourself or in a vehicle by yourself. You know, that's just asking for trouble. You say, how do you avoid fornication? Well, you just avoid her. You just avoid him and you avoid, the Bible talks about making that provision for the flesh. And you know, I don't, I don't believe that people that aren't married, you know, a man and a woman that aren't married should be riding in vehicles together by themselves. You should be meeting in offices together by themselves. You know, I, I will talk to ladies in church, you know, in, in, a, in a, you know, way as a pastor here or whatever, on the way out or whatever, but I don't just meet with women in an office by myself, you know. If women want to meet with me or have to talk, I usually just say, talk to my wife, but if they have to talk to me for some reason, I usually say, well, my wife's going to be there or your husband's going to be there. You know, but you say, why? Because look, this, this type of sin is something that we should not make provision for the flesh. We should flee. And it, and it not only has to do with that, it also has to do with our testimony. The Bible says to abstain from the appearance of evil. That goes back to your, well, we're, we're, not, we're not fornicating, we're just living together. Well, nobody else thinks that. Look at verse 11. And it came to pass about this time that Joseph went into the house to do his business, and there was none of the men of the house there within. So in verse 10, he, did, he had a good move. He chose not to be with her. In verse 11, he had a bad move. He goes into the house, and there's nobody there except him and this woman. And that was a bad move. That was a mistake that Joseph made, and I don't believe that Joseph did it on purpose or he intended to do anything wrong, but he put himself in a position that was not wise. Verse 12, And she caught him by his garment, saying, Lie with me. And he left his garment in her hand and fled. That's the flee 
fornication. That's the flea, these types of sins. And got him out. But you know the story, and we don't have to go into it. She, he, she kept his coat. She used it to lie about him. She said that he tried to come in and, and, and assault her, and he ends up in prison as a result because he put himself in this situation that was not a good place to be in. Again, Romans 13, 14 says, but put you on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. Don't even give the flesh the opportunity. Don't even give the flesh the opportunity to go down that road. Go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. We're finishing up chapter 6. We're going to hit two verses in chapter 7 and we'll be done, all right? We saw the sin of fornication. We saw the severity of fornication. We saw the solution to fornication. What's the solution? Well, number one is to flee. Flee fornication. Run. And look, if you got to leave your coat and they lie about you, even that's better than the sin. And, you know, at the end of the day, it worked out for Joseph. But go, go to 1 Corinthians 7, verse 1. Here's the other solution for fornication. Verse 1. Now, concerning the things whereof you wrote unto me, notice what Paul says. He says, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. And again, is he talking about shame? You know, people take these verses way out of, you know, just crazy. You know, I've, I've heard of churches where like, you can't even shake a lady's hand because it says not to touch a woman. Look, obviously the context when you are in 1 Corinthians 6 and when you keep reading to verse 2 is about fornication, all right? He's talking about touching in a, you know, in a physical relationship, romantic type of way. He's not talking about shaking somebody's hand, right? So don't go too extreme on it. But he says it's good for a man not to touch a woman. And here's the thing. When you are not married, it's good for a man not to touch a woman, you know, you say, well, uh, well, we're dating. You think that it's okay if we hold hands? Well, the Bible says it's good for a man not to touch a woman. Right. Well, we got, we got engaged. You think it's okay for us to start kissing now? No, the Bible says it's good for a man not to touch a woman. And look, and you say, well, what's, what's wrong with it if we're going to get married? Well, number one, maybe you're not going to, maybe you don't end up getting married, but here's the thing. All you're doing is making provision for the flesh. You're going to go down the road, and you're going to make a mistake, and you're going to make a decision that you're going to regret. Look at verse 2. Here's here's solution number two. You flee fornication. And if you're not in a position to get married, that's what you need to do. Joseph, just run out of there. Just get out of there. Just don't put yourself in that position. And listen to me. Young people, don't, look, I I don't want to see, you know, teenagers hanging out by themselves in these rooms. I don't want to see boys and girls just by themselves in these rooms. No, we keep everything in public places. Why? Because it's safe for you. Because it's good for you. And listen to me, you moms and dads, you need to wake up a little bit when it comes to this. Because, you know, moms and dads always want to talk about how, oh, man, my kids were great, and my 9-year-old, and my 10-year-old, and my 11-year-old, and my 12-year-old, and when they turned 13, they got, you know, stupid. But you know what I think is I think a lot of these parents, they were good parents, and then when their kids got 13, they got stupid. You know, be careful about what you're allowing your kids to be doing. You're 13 and 14 and 15 and 17 and 18 and 19 and 20 and 21 and 22 and 23 and 24 and 25. Say, so when are you going to end? Till they get married. That's where I'm going to end. And 33, if she's not married, if he's not married, get some smarts and realize that if you have them in a car by themselves at midnight, something bad's going to happen. You know, you think, oh, well, you know, I kind of trusted him. What's wrong with you? Help your kids. They'll thank you for it. They'll say, Mom, thank you so much for not, for keeping me pure. Thank you for helping. Look, it's your job as a parent to make sure, it's your job as a parent to make sure they go down that aisle pure. 
Say, Pastor Jimenez, are you going to, are, are your daughters going to be virgins when they want? Look, that's my life's goal. That's my life's goal. I mean, you know, I'm going to do everything in my power to make sure. You say, how are you going to guarantee that? They're not going to have an opportunity. Amen. It'll be real awkward. It's going to be real awkward when that boy goes to give her, uh, uh, you know, a uh, 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 goodnight kiss from the first day. It's going to be real awkward when I lean in and he gets my cheek. <laughs> and then I get his cheek. You know, it's going to be weird. You say, what? Because, look, I'm just making sure, I want to make sure that my daughters are protected. And you ought to do the same. Look, just wake up. The odds are stacked against our kid. There's stuff going on in their bodies. There's hormones in their bodies that are leading them the wrong way. And then we've got the world, and then we've got the devil. The odds are stacked against us, and then we're the parents thinking, oh, well, you know, they're hanging out in that room upstairs by themselves. They've been up there for two hours. I hope everything's okay. Wake up! Amen. Wake up! Help your kids! Make sure they're not in these... And look, and in church, I dead sure don't want to see these kids in there by themselves. These mother-baby rooms, daddy-baby rooms. Look, those rooms are for ladies to nurse their babies. You understand that? And make sure that we're keep, you say, Pastor, why are you so, you know, uh, 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 passionate about this? Because I'm passionate about these kids. Because I love these kids. Because I want to see them grow up right and do right and not have regrets and not, you know, be 30 years old and 40 years old and just having all these regrets about all these things. I'd rather just help them out a little bit. So when they're 40 years old, they'll say, man, Pastor, thank you. Mom, thank you. Dad, thank you. Say, what, what's, what's the next solution? Well, look at verse 2. Nevertheless, and, and look, and let me just say this before I get off of that. And I already made this point, but let me make it again. I don't care if you're 30 years old. You shouldn't be just in a room with someone you're not married to. I don't care if you're 40 years old. I don't care if you're 50 years old. This is not a teen thing. This is a avoid fornication thing. Verse 2, nevertheless. To avoid fornication, let every man, notice what he says, have his own wife. And let every woman have her own husband. So what is he saying? Here's what he's saying. You want to avoid fornication? Get married. Look, you flee or you get, you say, I can't flee. Then get married. Because, and if you can't get married, then you better flee. Because he says, look, here's how, here's the solution for fornication. The solution for fornication is you flee, and the solution for fornication is you get married. And by the way, here's why you want to be careful with these drawn-out engagements. You know, I, don't, I, I think people should plan their weddings, and I think people should slow down, and I don't think people should get, you know, don't go to Reno and get married over the weekend with somebody you just met or whatever. I'm not advising that, but I'm also not advising these five-year engagements. You know, seven-year engagement, we're going to be engaged till I can buy a house and graduate college. No, look, you know what? To avoid fornication, just get married. It is good for a man not to touch a woman. Nevertheless, to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife and let every woman have his, her own husband. You say, Pastor Jimenez, what is the point of the sermon? What is it that you're trying to accomplish? Here's what I'm trying to accomplish. I'm trying, I'm trying to put the fear of God in every child, every parent, every person in this room, in regards to fornication. I hope you don't walk out of here tonight and think like, eh, no big deal. No, it's a big deal. God makes a big deal about it. And we need to make sure that we make a big deal about it. We see that it's a sin. We see that it's severe. But we see that there are solutions. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father.